And welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 185. I'm fairly confident that this time 185 will take. And I am your host. I have C. <laughs> it might be like F or <laughs> J at this point. Um, I give us an F for uh, for our technical uh, our technical knowledge of the last couple of days. Although you, you've, uh, you've, you've learned a lot more. Yes, quite a bit more. Probably more than I ever expected or wanted to know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, and that's definitely, that's definitely a good thing. Um, I'm your host, Nicholas Minix. Joining me as always is Eno Saris. And Eno, how has your holiday break been? <laughs> Cause, <laughs> that happened like two, like two or three weeks out. ago. Yeah, we haven't actually made it, uh, to the, uh, to, to, to your earbuds, uh, since the, the holidays, they were good. You know, for most people, God, it's going to be so weird because we're going to be making jokes that we've made like three times. Um, so uh, I, for most people... They never get old for me. <laughs> uh, so you'll have heard this one before, but uh, most people, um, the break is, is a good time to, to relax and sleep in and blah, blah, blah. But um, once you have two young children, uh, the break actually is less of a break than it is maybe, uh, you know... The day that my child went back to daycare, I, w- I was like, ah, <laughs> now I can get some work done. Now I can relax a little. Oh, man. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Well, happy new year to all our listeners. Um, obviously, there's been a good bit of news um, since we last spoke. We, I went over that a little bit in the yet again in lieu of sleeper in the bus, uh, some of the stuff we went over last week. So we're going to go basically over uh, the stuff that has happened most recently in the past week or so. Although I'm sure eventually, and because of the nature of this game we play, some of those things will end up trickling their way into what we talk about. Uh, beginning with, uh, we had talked a little bit about Ben Zober's possible destination. And uh, we find out shortly thereafter that he ends up in Oakland. And that's uh, it's 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 interesting situation. I mean, just as quickly as Billy Bean changes the face of the A's, in one way, um, he's, I mean, he continues to tinker, which is kind of fun. Uh, he plays real baseball the way Fred Zinke of MLB.com plays fantasy baseball, which, <laughs> which is, which is pretty fun because the rest of the world doesn't uh, really play that way. But, um, how, I mean, I, it's hard really even to say that this affects Zobra's fantasy value. We've talked before about how, uh, power production is clearly kind of declined, um, that the 20 home run season is more, not really an outlaw. It's, I mean, it's closer to an outlier than it is not, uh, and speed is not really part of his game. But the, you know, he's a reliable player. He's f- very flexible, and so kind of like, I think of him as a bit more than a middle infielder. Like I like him as a low end second baseman or shortstop or fifth outfielder or fourth outfielder only because I can plug him into one of those spots. And that's probably, I mean, that's over that is probably overvaluing his flexibility a little bit, but somewhere in there. Um, do you see anything that, you know, kind of resonates with you as far as this move to Oakland that says uh, maybe we should, you know, reevaluate Zobrist even more so? No, not really. I think maybe uh, even though he's 
How old is he now? He's uh, 33, and he's on the you know downside. It does maybe help his keeper league value a little bit because the A's are the type of team that will um, use him all over the diamond, just like the Rays. He could have been traded to a team that just stuck him at second base and said, thank you, uh, please just play second base. <laughs> um, so I think our depth charts have him with 175 plate appearances at short. I think he could be more because Semyon has a, has a low floor in terms of uh, 2015 at least. Mm-hmm. I think that um, it's not impossible to, to see Simeon going back down to work on whatever it is, defense, uh, contact. Uh, it's also possible that these bring in, I mean, they brought in Yunel Escobar, and of course they dealt him shortly thereafter, but it's it's not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, because they might view him as that same kind of thing, right? I mean, I guess Zobers is like the backup plan, but... They may have another way of looking at a backup plan if Zober, you know, in the sense that like if if they want to stick Zober at short because they can get a good second baseman or whatever it is. Well, I mean, they also this offseason traded for Joey Wendell, mm-hmm. and uh, you know when I when I pointed out to Billy Bean that you know Joey Wendell was old and he didn't really have a standout tool, Bean said, "Well, it wasn't his fault that he was old." You know, <laughs> he played at every level. It is a good point. <laughs> Right. The world works this way. Uh, but also just that he, he went to college and he signed and then he played at every level and he didn't stagnate. Uh, so it wasn't that um, he stagnated and stayed at the level and, and got old. So that was a that was one point he had. And then he had, the other point he had was that he was good across the board. Uh, you know, most of the time had good walk rates, uh, always had good contact uh, or strikeout rates, always had above average power um, and had a little bit of speed. So. Uh, you know, the guy is 24, and he played 370 plate appearances at AA. It's not at all impossible to see Joey Wendell go to the minor leagues um, and spend, you know, 100 plate appearances um, uh, playing well. And then, you know, if, if Semyon spends those same 100 plate appearances not playing well, um, I think you could see Zobris come sift over to short and Wendell play second. And the reason I also think that is that, you know, the, the same A's team – played Jed Lowry at short <laughs> and so they, they don't they don't you know defense is not necessarily if, if the if Zobers's bat plays and his glove is okay they will push him over to short so you know there's a there's a chance that and Zobers is more valuable to short and, and yes I, I do think it's valuable that he can play outfield but I think in most leagues he'll be playing at his most valuable position which is um, shortstop if he's eligible there second if not and so then this move, I think, does help him a little bit uh, in terms of Zobrist, uh, you know, keeping shortstop eligibility. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's an excellent point, which is, is pretty helpful because shortstop is still kind of a yucky compared to second base. Um, and, and the A's, they traded away Daniel Robertson along with, uh, which is a, short, a shortstop in their system. Uh, who had, I guess, kind of what they uh, call a breakout season a bit uh, this past season. But, you know, you could, uh, to be honest, I mean, I'm not sure where he rates on the prospect radar. Then we have Jason, uh, John Jaso uh, and Boop Powell. I'm assuming that's a junior of some sort. <laughs> uh, that would be kind of weird to trade for the retired guy. Um, <laughs> uh, and, I mean, I don't uh, – I this is the first of uh, kind of hearing of him as, like, somebody that was on the uh, – you know, but, the, I mean, the Rays, the Rays get players like this and they make them useful. I'm not saying that these are bad players by any means. Robertson is is an interesting player, I think, especially when you look at him statistically. But uh, – and Jaso is – he's a DH. I mean, 
he's not going to play much of catcher. So, yeah, that's it's a funny thing. We have him for 192 play appearances at catcher and 210 at DH. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like it seems pretty high for the catching side. I think so. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, because Casale, uh, Renee Rivera can play uh, almost every day. So, not almost every day. I mean, he can play like a, a first string catcher. Mm-hmm. So um, it depends what they want out of their backup catcher. So, and, and also you're right, Jaso uh, with the with the concussions is a, is a risk for never playing catcher again. I mean, I think he's. I don't know if this results. I mean, you can't really trade David to Jesus, but I think like Jaso is a better uh, better alternative at DH than the Jesus. So, yeah, if you're just looking at bat alone, uh, yeah, Jaso has 20 points of of Waba on on to Jesus. So, the yeah. Jesus, sorry. I just like it to Jesus. No, no, no. I, I prefer that. As a, <laughs> I, I, it, perhaps not fair of me to do, but I am going to presume that fantasy baseballers are also most of them are fans of the Big Lebowski. So I'm, I'm cool with that. <laughs> what do you think of Evan Gaddis's move to Houston? Um, never mind what it says about the Braves, <laughs> which is <laughs> which continue to get worse, and they were already not looking good, especially defense wise, and. That and this probably helps them defense wise, but uh, Gaddis and, and James Hoyt, uh, number, uh, basically Gaddis to Houston. Um, I mean, I get Houston's offense is kind of slowly becoming interesting. So, and, and but more so, uh, park factor wise, I mean, this is this is beneficial to a player like Gaddis a little bit. I mean, in the end, we don't want to exaggerate the the kind of thing that park factors do. Uh, for a player, but. Steamer, I'm pretty sure added one home run. There you go. I'm not. I'm not sure. It, I, I I can't remember what it was. It was either 24 or 26, and now it's 27. So um, that's that's not a huge increase. Uh, the, the the thing that's funny about Steamer is that they it projects um, Gaddis for a 265 BABIP, and <clears throat> I mean his career is 276. Last year is 298. Uh, I get that he hits a lot of fly balls, but, uh, you know, a lot of those fly balls leave the park and uh, he doesn't seem to have an infield fly problem. So I don't know. I think maybe the fans maybe have it a little bit better where they have him hitting 255 with 28 homers. Um, that might make him the best, uh, the best catcher in baseball this year. Yeah, I could see that uh, for sure, especially if you get uh, an extra 10 to tw- even 20 i mean it could be worse but it could be you know an extra 10 15 points of batting average i mean that yeah, makes steamer, a huge difference steamer had him at 26 so steamer added one with the move to the park uh the fans added two um the way that uh when in steamer's old projection with 26 homers a 243 batting average um gaddis was uh for like just six cents behind lucroy uh, by by Sanders FBARS uh, by the Z score method, and um, the both of them were about ten bucks short of, of Buster Posey. So um, you know, if you give Gaddis two more homers and uh, twelve more points in batting average, he doesn't maybe quite get to Buster level, um, but uh, he'll be at least the second best catcher in baseball next year. So uh, you know. You can say a lot of things about Gaddis that he was old, that he doesn't walk, uh, that he's probably not a catcher. Um, a lot of these things are real life things. When it comes to fantasy, just tell me about the home runs. <laughs> yes, please tell me about the home runs. <laughs> Any thoughts on the prospects who moved to Atlanta? I mean, specifically uh, the one that 
I'm most familiar with is Mike Fultinowitz and he throws hard and things like that. That's exciting. Uh, I mean, I guess I think, I mean, folks would like to think of him as a, uh, the Astros like to think of him as a starting pitcher first. Although, I mean, I think you have, you, you have to be at least resigned to the possibility that he's eventually destined for the bullpen. Uh, but, and that, that makes it interesting if they I'd do the Fultinowitz. I'm pretty sure that's right because I've heard other people say it that way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's ex- which I'm, is, gonna, I'm gonna call him faulty. Yeah, that's I, easy. I, <laughs> we do. The nice thing is that he played in the major leagues. Uh, uh, that always makes me feel much more comfortable talking about a, a pitcher uh, because I get the pitch FX. It, when I looked at his pitch FX, uh, there, you know, the, the nice there are nice things there. Obviously, um, he he uh, has great velocity. Everyone knows that. And um, he averaged 98 according to uh, Brooks. Brooks is like you know a mile faster than us usually. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and, and you know in terms of outcomes, the the forcing the sinker and the curve, all excellent whiff rates. And even the change uh, had excellent whiff rates, but he threw 36 of them. And so uh, we can't really believe in that uh, too hard. And then when you look at the movement, uh, here's something striking. His changeup, although it goes 14 miles an hour slower than his four seam, moves exactly the same as his four seam. Wow. So I'm not really sure what to do with that. Um, maybe that's maybe 14, 13 miles an hour difference is uh, enough to make up for the lack of change in the break. Yeah. But it, I don't know that I've ever seen that before. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, it's, it's like identical. I, I, maybe well, that, that is eerie. I mean, if if you were looking at something that looks exactly like his four seam the whole way, but it was 14, 13 miles an hour slower, maybe that maybe that is enough. But um, it doesn't have any uh, it doesn't have any dro- uh, what would you call uh, tilt? It doesn't have any drop, um, and it doesn't have much fade. So it doesn't have any fade compared to his four seam, and it does and it has less fade than a sinker. So. It's a it's a it's a weird pitch. I I think I'm with the people who see this as turning into a bullpen arm, because particularly because you know his curve uh, he doesn't have a slider. So maybe if he developed a cutter or a slider, he could be kind of Richardsian, um, and because his curve is enough of a roundhouse. This I, I think I'm gonna write this article. There are a bunch of people who don't need to throw the change anymore. I think like Zach Wheeler, uh, Nate Eovaldi. These guys have big curves, and big curves have reverse platoon splits. So if you have a big curve and a slider and a fastball, uh, I think you're doing enough. But as of now, uh, Fulte has a basically two good fastballs and a curve and a change that we just have to call incomplete. Uh, so I think, uh, I think I'm think i not buying hardcore. I mean, it, there's obviously an opportunity there. He's probably battling David Hale and Manny Buenuelos for – the fifth starter spot and on stuff he blows those other two away. Uh, Benuelos is the lefty and David Hale is the Arsenal score champion and that he has, you know, four pitches that, that look good by Arsenal score or by, by whiffs and, and grounders. But people say he has terrible command and uh, he doesn't really have a ton of velocity either. So, uh, you know, I think I, you know, just sort of judging from the way that the Braves are acting, I think they they'd probably go with the big stuff guy. Well, we find out Friday night if we if we win an award. So everybody root for us. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's fantastic news. Uh, this it's this Friday. Yeah. Oh. Wow. 
Wow. Okay. Or today, if you're listening on Friday. <laughs> or on Saturday, uh, then it's already happened. <laughs> and, and, and such. And then, remember, the Twitter handle is at FSWA to totally lambast them if it doesn't work out. FSWA, at, at symbol. That's shift two, FSWA. And then lots of foul language. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, okay, faulty is interesting. I, I mean, yeah, I would like to see. Like, do you see this as a precursor, a potential precursor to a trade, a, a Craig Kimball trade? That's, I guess, where I'm going. Like, there's been rumors of that possibility, and then the Braves say, "No, we're not. We still view ourselves as contenders." And then, like anybody who's a real baseball evaluator says, "Ha ha ha, that's hilarious." Um, I mean. I think it's obvious that they should. Freeman's under contract for a while, but right now the Braves are second to last in projected war. And, um, you know, even though they've improved their pitching and uh, it's their their batting wars ahead of their pitching war, even if you gave them 50% more war than they have uh, in, on the pitching side, uh, they would be uh, fifth to last, just ahead of the Padres. So, uh still behind the Astros, even if you augment their pitching by, by half. So I, I think that they are comfortably not contenders. I mean, if you just, and then let's say you don't want to do the war game. That's fine. I understand. A lot of people, you know, have their problems with it. Uh, just look around the diamond right now. Uh, second base is Peterson. Kayaspo. Uh, catcher <laughs> is Betancourt. Uh, third base is Chris Johnson. Uh, left field is Terdoslovich or, um, uh, relative unknown. Uh, I forget his name now. There's a there's a, an outfielder that came to them in a trade recently, um, or Costanza, who's just like about the worst player in Major League Baseball. <laughs> um, Markakis, weird. Uh, B.J. Upton, and uh, their starting rotation actually, I don't hate so much. Teron Wood, Minor Miller, uh, with some interesting pieces beyond that. Um, that could be a good rotation. I guess they could, they could try to win a lot of games one or nothing. But um, that's, I think that's a pretty bad lineup, and I don't know what they're thinking about doing. And every trade that they do, apparently, it like looks like they're getting more pitching. So it's just really strange. Yeah, I, I have to think that a Kimbrel trade is in the cards. But is um, I mean, just think about reliever trades. They're very hard to pull off. I mean, Clippard went for you know Escobar. You know that that isn't necessarily a trade. I don't. I obviously they wouldn't want you know Escobar in Atlanta, right. but <clears throat> that tells you Clifford was basically a top ten reliever over the last four years, and uh, obviously Kimbrel's better than that. But you know, a top ten reliever goes for I would say just below major league average player, you know, on the end of his career. I mean, I think. Well, I think. Uh, I mean, I think Escobar. There's reason. I mean, I won't defend that. I mean, overall, def- I think he can. I think it's reasonable to think that he can bounce back defensively and be at least a major league average player. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the point. I mean, the point taken is that it doesn't get anything spectacular. I mean, uh, not that. Not that Papelbon is even close to the class, but like that's. Yeah, that's why Papelbon hasn't been traded. Right. Know? Like, there's no chance. Like, that's why I think. Like. Uh, for the sake of argument of saying like Papelbon is an okay, like he's a safe investment because as long as he's a Philly, he's the closer and he's probably going to be a Philly at least for the rest of this year, even though they want it, they would like and to. I think, 
And I think the best time to trade a Papelbon or a Kimbrel is actually in season, mm-hmm. uh, because most teams think, oh, I put together a good enough bullpen, and then you get to uh, September when the, the contenders have separated, and uh, and then they kind of panic a little bit. So, you know, call up Detroit in in uh, in uh, in July. Yeah. Uh, you know, Lescobar to Washington via Oakland. Uh, I mean, basically, the only thing this really does is is hurt Danny Espinosa, which I mean, realistically, was probably not an option for the Nationals, at least because of his bat. I mean, he's. It seems like at this point, he serves his purpose better off the bench as a defensive replacement or whatever. Um, I guess I've seen that he could play second base. Uh, then uh, and they and the Nats all they. I guess I mean the Nats also have been dangling Ian Desmond. He's in the final year of his deal. Um, they're they're competitive. I don't see that happening. Yeah, that seems strange to me. I mean, I think, and I don't I don't think that they, even if they got a great return, are they going to use that? They're going to do that, and then go with Unel and Des and Espinosa up the middle and try to win the division. They just they won the division last year and they're they're fine. They're they're going to you know they're they're well I don't know what they're projected to do, but I would I would count them as a favorite to win again this year. So <laughs> I think that they'll they'll hold on to Desmond and either. You know, he rejects their um, their qualifying offer, or um, they they sign him during the year. So uh, I, yeah, I don't think they're going to trade him. I think Escobar is the starter at short, and if you fall, if you, I think they wanted to have two guys at second base, and they put Yunel Escobar and Danny Espinosa there, and they hope they hope that one of them turns out to be okay. You know, Danny Espinosa might quit switch hitting. Yeah. And um, so they might have some weird platoon, but they're both, they both would be kind of right-handers anyway. So it's not going to be an easy platoon, but um, I just think they're just hoping that one of them um, takes it and runs with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Clipper to Oakland mentioned that. I mean, that doesn't really affect things in, in terms of a hierarchy or anything like that. Um, some people think that he'll close, but I, I can't, I can't figure out exactly why. I mean, you can't make a monetary argument. Because Doolittle uh, signed an extension. Right. Doolittle got paid. So at this point, there's nothing preventing them from using him. And they have two other left-handers forecasted to be in the bullpen. A-bad was good. O'Flaherty can be good if he's healthy. Yeah, I don't think they necessarily need Doolittle as a lefty. Um, and then, you know, somebody said, well, they, he, they he tried did to pump Clifford up but with <laughs> saves in order to give him the qualifying offer. I'm like, dude, I don't think that the A's are thinking about next year's qualifying offer um to to Clippard. So uh well I think also you run the risk of, I mean like Clipper's no idiot if he gets a good qualifying offer why wouldn't he just take it like he might take yeah I mean that's, <laughs> that's not really that's not really the way the A's want to operate they preferred him to to decline it so right exactly so uh you know Doolittle's had uh, some stretches where maybe Clippard comes in and saves a couple games in the past uh but if you just you just sort of zoom out on on Doolittle's numbers they're pretty awesome i mean (laughs) and then there's also that (laughs) he's like a top end if you do like strikeouts minus walks type stuff he showed up um on my uh let me see if i can pull that up pretty easily he showed up i did a a pop-up listing because clippert is number one in uh pop-ups among all pitchers um since 2010 um so and actually uh that park uh augments uh pop-ups but Doolittle was actually uh, was was decent. He he was uh, near the top, and um, he's got uh, about double the league average. So he's a good 
pop-up guy. He's got a great extension on his fastball, you know, high fastball, lots of walks. Uh, and not so lots of walks, lots of strikeouts with that, lots of whiffs. I don't, I, I don't see it stopping, um, you know, unless he drops in velocity. But he's pretty held pretty steady at 94 for the last three years. So, Well, then there's that. And, and he made it like if – if there was a you know a modest decline in velocity, that might hurt the strikeout rate a little. But um, in terms of pop ups, that's we. I mean, there are already plenty of pitchers who do that kind of thing who don't need the velocity to get the pop ups. Yeah. So I it's Doolittle for me, and, and Doolittle I think still counts as an elite closer. I mean, just in terms of strikeout rate, ERA, nice home park, uh, no monetary concerns. I. Plenty of opportunities, and Oakland tends to generate. I think. I picked him in the mock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I picked him in the mock. The only the things I found uh, related to opportunities were uh, strength of offense that remains to be seen. I think with Oakland, uh, strength of bullpen around you. I think uh, Clipper therefore helps Doolittle get more save chances by keeping the games close. Mm-hmm. And in general, it is a strong I think assortment of guys in the bullpen. Yeah. So uh, I took Doolittle uh, in the eighth round in the mock draft in the 93rd pick and he was my first closer um took him after uh johnny cueto who was my first starter i feel pretty good about that i like to get uh the the worst uh elite closer yeah i think i i I mean i think based on just the stuff we talked about i think like i noticed some of the guys Personally, we've talked about David Robertson's potential shortcomings. I think that he, based on the return, or you know, based, just on this mock alone, and no offense to whoever took him, it's not. But like, I think that, like, I would, I would want to do little over him, and definitely a Batantis, even though I know that Batantis, I mean, disgusting talent, obviously, but love some, some risk. I mean, Andrew yeah, Miller's certain. there. You know, you don't know that the Yankees don't care about money, so. You don't. You also don't know that Batantis will continue to pitch that well. I mean, he's. This is a guy who's had a pretty rocky start to his Man. career. Yeah, the career. command risk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, it's, I mean, the way that it went was Zach particularly took Greg Kimbrell. He loves him from sort of a Z score standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, he took him in the fourth round, forty six. Uh, Schwartz, who also uses Sanders' um, Z score method, uh, took Aroldis Chapman uh, three picks later in the fifth round. Uh, then there wasn't another closer taken. 22 picks. 22 picks. Uh, Potterhorts took Holland 71. I kind of like that. That's mm-hmm. that's not bad because I put Holland in that class and he waited, you know, 20 picks. Um, I I held off and then Jansen won 82. Robertson won 83. Rosenthal won 85. Batanzas went 92 and I had to jump. I mean, I know it's a run. But I wanted someone in that grouping, so I, I took Doolittle. Melanson went to Sanders right after that, and then there wasn't another reliever taken for thirty picks. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's the runs are so funny. I, well, I think like that's um, and that just goes to another thing. Like we we tend to get into uh, there are things we tend to do as I mean that's what my blog was about today was more so I, I'm more so I wanted even just to kind of highlight those things in general. We, there, there reaches a point where there's like a, a fantasy crowd group think where it's like, don't be, don't fall victim to a run such as, and it's like, no, like there's always a situation where it's okay to be a part of the run. Like if you're, if there's, you know, something that's 
part of your strategy or whatever, like, as long as you're not, like, don't fall victim to a run just because it's going on and you panic. But, like, you want to do little. It was a good time to take him. Uh, I mean, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that pick. I like him. I mean, I would have, I would have preferred him over a couple of guys that already went. And so, um, I think, I mean, either you say I could wait on him or I would have, you know, I might have even taken him like around earlier just because I say, I don't care what the, I don't care what the consensus says. This is the guy I want because I'm a lot more confident in him. I think there, I mean, there's that to me, that's the way I play. I get the guys that I am a lot more confident in. I like to get the last guy in a tier. Yeah. And I could, yeah. Like I paid less to get something of comparable value. So Uh, yes, runs are, you know, don't get caught up in a run, I guess, but, Runs often happen because people see the end of a tier come. Mm-hmm. You know, so don't get caught up. If you if you have a different tier than everybody else, and, and I do think tiers are are, are useful. You got to think. Yes. You got to put together some reasonable comps and and try to find places where, where there's groupings, and then um, you know, and then react to that because there's scarcity. Scarcity is not only a positional thing; it's a it's within positions. There are elite groupings and then there are less elite groupings. So um, in any case, I, I would say you, you want to react to what's going on in the draft. And, you know, even if you think Kimbrell, even if he thought that Kimbrell was worth that pick, um, I think that just the fact that there weren't any picks for 20, for 20 picks means he could have taken in the next round or he could have taken uh, Chapman mm-hmm. um, right after somebody took Kimbrell. So any, in any case, uh, I felt okay about Doolittle. Uh, Clipper doesn't move the needle too much for me, and uh, we can move on. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> as, as far as um, <clears throat> as far as uh, some other news that was not really transaction related, Miguel Cabrera, the ankle surgery, the whole thing. I think he had what, bone spurs removed. He also had some kind of stress fracture in his foot. I mean, he's. We know that he was dealing with some health issues at the end of last season, uh, and they certainly affected probably more so power than anything but uh now we learned that he won't be ready for the start of spring training there's even been rumors or speculation really that he uh, may not be ready for the start of the season i mean i think obviously this you know where are you i guess on the red flag scale in this because i look at this and i say like you know i would expect detroit to play things kind of cautiously with him and therefore like he really shouldn't be out there until like I guess basically the question is, is, you know, does he just have a slow start or are you concerned that this is like, we, this is a precursor to, or really actually more so this is like the next step in what is becoming slowly a really injury prone player because of his, I mean, he doesn't have, he has certainly worked to get himself into much better shape in the past couple of years. Like he, you know, went and that was basically that pre uh, preceded his move back to third base for that one year, but he's still not like the best body type. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay, no fat shaming here. No, no, no. No, uh, what? Uh, yeah, you, I agree, and it may not age that well. Um, he's just below. I, I set two forty basically as um, my uh, big versus regular sized um, cutoff when I was researching fielder, and people above two forty did poorly. Um, he's listed at two forty. If he's actually two forty, then. He barely missed the cut, but we, we've seen we've seen some more injuries recently. Uh, I'm just impressed by how well he did with the problems that he had, and I'm I apologize if um, 
Zimmerman didn't publish this or did publish this, I, I'm knee-deep in Fangraphs Plus editing, and I'm not sure. But I know that Zimmerman was t- telling me recently that wrist and shoulder and, and arm-type stuff is much worse for hitters uh, in terms of future outcomes than uh, leg and, and foot and stuff, that type of stuff. So uh, in terms of red flags, I think this guy can fall out of bed and and hit 300. And I'm glad it's an ankle. And I don't think spring training is super important to him. I'd be more worried if the stuff that you're saying is true, that Miguel Cabrera won't be ready for the season beginning, just because that would mean fewer plate appearances. Right. But in terms of production and right now, uh, overall value, I'm not too worried. Yeah, and I'm kind of the same. I mean, you, you took him in the mock, and this was before that news, but yeah. would that really change? I mean, you don't take... You don't take Clayton Kershaw, so the only – I mean, then you're talking Goldschmidt, Cano, Abreu. I mean, I'm, I would still opt for Cabrera after this news probably because this is like this – is, this, is this is still the money commodity to me. Although there is a, there's a chink in the armor, certainly, and even before coming into this, you know, a draft like this. But, you know, fourth overall, he's still like – he's still bank. I think like – Yeah, I mean, and Goldschmidt had an uh, injury issue of his own, and if I remember correctly, it was an arm. Or hand thing, yeah. That that was a hit by pitch. That was yeah. That was, that was a huge issue, uh, right? For, so for the, for the soap operas and stuff. Uh, I, I picked four on purpose because I mean we picked our slots and I did want to see what I would do. I didn't think I would take Kershaw, um, and uh, I just feel like I have real confidence in myself in finding pitchers. So yeah, um, you know the, the the choice for me was Cabrera, Abreu, Goldschmidt. Abreu has some issues. Uh, of his own in terms of sort of ridiculous batted ball splits uh, in terms of ground balls. He has a really high ground ball rate for a guy who hits as many homers. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think, that, I think we're looking at a real possibility of um, a Chris Davis kind of like Chris Davis's 53 home run season. Not, not that they're not the same type of player. Not really quite. Obviously, the strikeouts make the huge difference there, and, and Abreu can hit for some batting average. But um, Abreu's second half was clearly uh, – I mean, Davis, yes, it also has a lot of power. But he uh, – I mean, I think he hit 15 home runs after the All-Star break, and Abreu hit – I want to say fewer than 10. I, I Suddenly, I forget the number. But yeah, I think I we're looking at that. He was, he, was on, he was on a three-month or four-month run that was basically – you know, kind of one of those things. He uh, he had it. He was dialed in, and players. I mean, th- those things just don't happen very often for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know what the statistical research uh, will bear out once you know and Jeff and all those people do that study on that. I'm sure they're destined to. Um, well, you know, Schwartz did have a piece recently about balls in play, uh, just sort of estimating homers, and he estimated uh, a breakdown. Yes. yes. So I think he had a Brave at 31 instead of 36, and was one of the major, one of the more, uh, one of the more extreme um, estimations and downward. So I do think there's batting, there's risk there. Bautista and Carnacion uh, went later in the first round. They have injury risk. Uh, Cano um, in that ballpark, I'm not sure. I was definitely not going to take him fourth. So uh, and Tulowitzki, it just I can't take that injury risk. So. No. It really came down to the, the first baseman for me. Um, and 
and uh, Miguel was still still comfortably uh, the best. Yeah, I, I think like you. I mean, the only thing I would say is like, yeah, I can understand the uh, upper uh, various upper body injury, shoulder and, uh, and wrist, and things like that. I can definitely understand how they have an impact, but leg injuries can certainly. I mean, they certainly affect. I mean, like hitters that use the base. I mean, that's that's essential to power production as well. Things like that. I've you know we've seen evidence of case I can easily think of is Ryan Howard because I'm somewhat intimately familiar with him only from fancy baseball sense. Just want to make that clear, <laughs> yeah, right. but like that, I mean, he's to, with the, the, the Achilles tear and uh, he's had some sprained ankles multiple occasions in the past. And that is, uh, I think even visibly, you can see that it has affected him. Uh, it doesn't help also that he strikes out a lot so that uh, basically anything he does affects him. But I mean, that's, uh, and I, you know, there are certainly many other cases of players who have had those, but as long as they um, confine it to a short-term window, uh, I think that, I mean, I, I think more so what I'm trying to say is, is unless it's an Achilles injury, unless they confine it to a short-term window, there's a lot of recovery. Victor Martinez is probably a good example in the sense that he, I mean, he had a torn ACL and obviously he was the well, look at Brandon Moss. I mean, Brandon Moss managed to hit 30 homers with the, with a hurt hip. Yeah. Although probably about five of them came when the hip was truly significant, significantly a problem. Right. But I mean, like also like he's had the surgery, like, but I mean, we're coming up on soon, like a point where, uh, you'll have really, he might not have any limitations. And like, I would expect a full recovery of power. Whereas like you can probably second guess as far as, I mean, like the recovery period for wrist or shoulder still projects to have a, a significant effect on power production. Yeah. So, um, Jock Peterson to compete for the job in center field. I mean, this this should send the prospect hounds a a, a run in. Like, what do you think of that? And this, I guess, is not really a surprise. Uh, the Dodgers brought him up last year, and uh, he's he's basically ready. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's possible that Ethier is done. And I know that uh, his. his general manager is it uh farhan zaidi i don't i forget what his actual title is i think it was general manager said that uh they were pleased with ethier's defensive production and center but i just can't i don't buy that just from watching and just just like assessing his athleticism and looking at his age and and where he's played in the past i mean you don't see a lot of guys in their early 30s move back to center he strikes me as the Johnny Peralta center field. <laughs> the statue. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe if you put it, the statue in the right place, it's okay. But Peterson, I think, is going to be a better defender. Mm-hmm. Um, Puig, for whatever reason, I I might pick stick Puig there, but he does, he's not the most cerebral of defenders, so I guess <laughs> the routes uh, aren't always uh, perfect. And... Um, you know his, the way that he acts about his arm, that he kind of overthrows cutoff men and is all crazy, that might uh, be to his detriment more in center than it would be in a corner. So um, I think I think it's I think this could really happen. I think this could really happen. I don't know how much I'm willing to bet on it because in batting average leagues, I'm I'm worried about his batting average. There's a big difference between um, <laughs> the steamer and the fans. Although it's 11 fans, so that's not. Uh, Counted too heavily, but uh, eleven <laughs> fans have given uh, Jock Peterson a three forty two Babbitt next year. Um, 
So, and then Steamer gave him a 271 BABIP, and that's the difference between a 225 batting average for Peterson and 261. I'll go with uh, a 230 batting average, uh, good power and speed. <clears throat> it's the kind of thing that will give his Steamer value, will make his Steamer value decent um, because um, he has a lot of the counting stats and the, and the, the power and the, and the speed. But it, it also makes me nervous to kind of put that kind of guy in my outfield uh, because I'm going to need to do something about that batting average. I can understand that. I think we have him worth, uh, by steamer, $4. Uh, just <clears throat> below Carl Crawford, just ahead of Austin Jackson, and um, probably about in the 70, uh, in the 70th outfielder range. Below Gregory Polanco, I think I might take Gregory Polanco. I think Polanco's floor is a lot better. I could see that. I mean, if I'm in a, if I'm in an auction and the bidding stops at four on Jock Peterson, I'm, I'm bidding five or six. Mm-hmm. Like because I pay. I mean, that's that's this is one of those cases where it kind of like I mean, like you're trying. I try to cheat the system there by saying like, yes, I know what this. I know what the probable outcome is, and I know that. But like, I don't care about wasting five, six bucks, even you know, in, in a mix. Well, especially in a mixed league, but. Uh, I mean, his his it is an interesting thing to think about ranges, right? Because his range is we we use upside a lot and we maybe over overuse it, but his his upside is is much better than most of the names, even better than Polanco, better than better than Jay Bruce probably, who's going a bit above him. And I, now I'm up to four or five dollars above his his valuation. Leonis Martin, he can do better than that. Matt Kemp in San Diego, uh, you know. So now we're talking about. You know, he he could go up to ten, fifteen dollar value, mm-hmm. um, just if he gets that batting average up to like two forty. Yeah, and that's I was going to say like I'm willing to kind of split some difference between fans and Steamer. Like three forty two may be ambitious, but he's <laughs> he's he's, he's posted high bat. He posted high averages on balls in play in the minors. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he hits he hits the ball hard. He does pass. I mean, he passes my eye test. I'm not saying that this guy is like immediate rookie of the year likely but like i mean it certainly is possible forget um but there's there's considerable risk so like i mean yeah i'm I'm not you know right now i'm not risking i'm not going into double digits for this guy uh and i'd be i'd be a little worried i guess about uh spending on him in an only league but this is kind of player who wins you in an only league because you like you you buy him for 10 bucks and he produces 20 to 25 or something like that, if that happens. I mean, I'm not it saying a, that. It's a high-variance strategy, one that I'm a little bit more comfortable with in, in mixed leagues where... It yeah, it's a lot easier. <laughs> like, you, you, think about it this way, too. In a mixed league, if you buy a $5 outfielder named Jock Peterson, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if he doesn't work out, you can probably find a waiver outfielder that will be worth $5. Right. Right? So you bought a $5 lottery ticket at a chance for $15 in mixed league, but you can get a $5 guy off the waiver wire. So that, I think, seems like a good bet. Yeah. Whereas in an, in an NL-only league, you have to think a little bit more about floor, I think, because you're getting a 20-cent guy. <laughs> right. I mean, the, out, the, the outfield waiver wire in only leagues is pretty much re- like replacement level. Like it doesn't, There's not much upside there. Every once in a while, you, you pick up a guy that, that does a little something like James Jones last year where – you know, maybe he's worth a couple bucks because he stole 20 bases before, you know, the league figured him out. 
but you don't rarely. And I and I traded for uh, JD uh, Martinez last year. Um, traded Alex Meyer for him. <laughs> that was a pretty good one. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't bring that one up to to uh, to Ray Flowers. He won't like that. Okay, um, it, it, you might get lucky, but I think the, the you you worry a little bit more about floor in only leagues, and you worry a little bit more about upside in mixed leagues. Yeah. Yeah. No. I and I, I agree with that. I think because yeah, you're you're risking more, and the and the the consequences are also more severe. Um, yeah. which is a that's a nerve wracking kind of thing. Uh, some other I mean a lot of this other stuff Hanley Ramirez uh, projected perhaps to hit clean up Manny Machado expects to be ready for spring I mean these are kind of well the Hanley is I mean it's a lineup spot that's you know certainly for RBI possibilities that's that's exciting I mean fewer steals yeah and there's and and there's that Uh, Machado this that's basically kind of confirmation of old news in the sense that that was still kind of Projected to be a, a, a good possibility at the time he had, uh, well, shortly after he had surgery. Lance Lynn, three-year contract to avoid arbitration. That's kind of a, hey, the Cardinals are believers. I, mean, I think based on the way the Cardinals uh, evaluate pitching, um, this makes me more confident, I guess, in, in essence, saying that he can retain a good bit of the gains that he made last year. I mean, I was... I was hesitant to think that he. I mean, I don't. I guess I was in the kind of in the middle. I don't think he'll retain them all, but that he's better equipped to. And I know that you're more confident, like I, th- uh, that he will. Like, how um, do you kind of view this as an endorse? Uh, kind of as an endorsement as well. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sure. <laughs> I mean, the, I. I know he uses his arm slots to change things up and. He was never a risk of to fall out of the rotation, right? No, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that. And but I, I and I know he uses arm slots to switch things up and 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 get lefties out. But Lynn still strikes me as iffy. I don't know. I I, I just his arsenal. It doesn't it doesn't have a, a weapon against lefties, and it it doesn't. I mean, I I know I've I've mitigated that with some guys, and said uh, you know. If they've got a big curve, they can figure it out. Um, but uh, you know, that's why for him, I, I I I guess I don't like. See, I, if you have a curve, I want your your sec your breaker to be a slider. His breaker is a cutter. It doesn't have a lot of movement, so I don't think that his cutter is going to change a lot of things against same-handed guys. Right. So in you know. I don't know. I, I something about Lancelin makes me super nervous. Yeah, I think like he made some uh, he made some changes. I mean, he made some changes to kind of the the pitches he threw to left-handers, and that might be responsible for. And yeah, and like you said, I mean, I think it was a, a, also an arm slot thing. Uh, and I guess just the question becomes like, is he going to continue to? Is that going to be, continue to be as effective, or how much? How much luck and noise is in that? Like, because it's really only one year of him being that effective with this. That doesn't seem like it should make as big of an impact as it did. Yeah, in his best year, he also in his best year he also um, had a lot of sort of home run for fly ball luck. I mean, uh, the last two years he's he's had uh, six and seven percent home runs for fly ball, and that's a pretty decent amount of luck. I mean, considering the league average is ten percent, and I know he pitches in a nice home park, but 
if you start giving him league average home runs per fly ball, uh, as Steamer did, uh, you get a 3.72 ERA, and that looks a lot like 27, the 2012-2013 uh, Lance Lynn. So, I mean, from a team standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to to, to re up on a guy like that. Um, he's going to be good enough to pitch in your in your rotation, hmm. uh, and so he'll be worth it. For us, though, I wouldn't be buying that 2.74 ERA. I mean, just just look. I mean, I used to when I first started out, just look at ERA and WHIP together, and you know. A 2.74 ERA with a 1.26 WHIP. Something's going on there. <laughs> I think uh, that was a shout back to 2001 Eos Harris right there. <laughs> he was just a wee thought in uh, in his in his mommy and daddy's mind then. Um, Kendall Graham, a uh, different starting pitcher. Kendall Graham, an inside track to Oakland rotation. Um, what can you tell us about him? I mean, obviously, we have virtually no pitch effects data on him at four and two-thirds innings. Uh, he moves to Oakland. Not the most exciting minor league numbers either, uh, except for in, t- in terms of the earned run results. I mean, those are really good. Um, I mean, I'm not I'm not sure where to uh, – I haven't done a lot of research on this guy. I'm not sure where to put him. Uh, strikeouts minus walks. Looks like there could be a tiny bit of promise, but – I would also question how the strikeouts will translate to the major leagues. Uh, probably not a lot since as he moved up. Basically, uh, well, actually, wow, there's only really uh, one year of, of striking out guys at an efficient rate. So I can that completely. I mean, this, this is a guy who probably relies a lot on ground balls. Yeah, I think so. I mean, 93-mile-an-hour sinker, you know, we have, uh, let's see here, 54, 59. We have 60 pitches. Um in, in in pitch FX and 44 of them were sinkers. 93 miles an hour is, is pretty good, uh, even for a righty. So he's got above average velocity, good sinker. Um, looks like the cutter is his is his best is his pitch he uses the most. Um, and uh, other than the sinker, so uh, sinker, cutter, slider, and he threw two changeups. So I don't know. I don't know what I can say about those changeups. Um, kind of, kind of like a right-handed Zach Britton in, yeah, in, in terms of uh, selection. I'm not in love. I'm not in love. Um, you know, it's nice. It's nice that he'll get a shot. Any athletic is is useful. Um, you know, but um, let me let me try to suss, suss it out here. Gray, Gray Casimir Han is how I would go. Um, and then you got Pomerantz, Graveman, and Chavez battling it out uh, for two slots with Griffin and Parker uh, due back midseason. Um, I don't know, man. I think Chavez bought himself an inside track, and Pomerantz did too. So I think Graveman is the swing guy. Mm-hmm. And maybe the swing guy they keep on staff um, – you know, to, to, to get them grounders in the, in the bullpen. Um, but uh, Chavez, I think, will get another crack at, uh, at being the fifth starter. Yeah. And as for what I think about Pomeranz, you know, I like his curveball. I like his fastball. But um, that's it. It's really it. And as much as he has a big old curveball that can, uh, you know, stop his platoon splits, uh, he still needs something for same-handed guys. Uh, so I think he'll probably need to develop a cutter or a slider to, to get lefties out a little bit. Um, I want to see if he's got reverse platoon splits in his, for his career since he only throws uh, two pitches. Um, 
Nope. Still has traditional platoon splits. That's interesting. But, any case, um, I think another pitch would be good for him. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I not buying hard on Graveman. I will. I, I will buy Pomerantz and Chavez before him. Yeah, I, I think. <clears throat> I think Kylie's assessment of, and basically um, future value of uh, basically says I think swing, swing man too. So I mean, could get lucky in any year uh, and, and surprise some people. But uh, this is not a guy who year to year is a rotation mainstay. Uh, place yeah, not his pitches. He doesn't even give a single one of his pitches a 60. So that means, uh, you know, he's got uh, three okay pitches and, you know, hopes hopes that that'll work together. Yeah. With obviously good command, which is nice, but, you know. Still, Kyle only gives him a 45 on command, so. Yeah. Uh, Russ, uh... The rest of the news we can really talk about. I mean, I think there's nothing really significant there, except I am interested. I mean, once again, limited information, but uh, thoughts on uh, Arizona played kind of a princely sum for Yoan Lopez because he's a Cuban amateur, uh, not yet really uh, had played in a professional league. Um, and they, I mean, they've essentially get, <clears throat> given up like future signing bonus or uh Future international signing or future, I guess. I can't think of the word uh, amateur signing money, basically, mm-hmm. to get this guy, uh, and they're paying a huge penalty also to get this guy. So they clearly like this guy. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I've never seen him play. I know that um, you know non-amateur, like the sort of Cuban professionals that play in the Cuban league there, uh, for the most part, the pitching is behind the hitting. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the best score we've seen recently is Odersama's Despagne, who's maybe lucky to be a, a major league average pitcher. So I think they they would find that it's sort of expensive uh, because they, the Padres bought uh, Despagne for 500000 So I think... Uh, once again, for me, I'm, I'm tending to think that Arizona bought uh, two of the most expensive Cubans in May. Uh, they may be part of the market correcting a little bit. We'll, we'll see. Yes. Um, yeah, and uh, that's kind of an allusion to the P- uh, PC road for Fangraphs. How long has it been? Not too long. Maybe a month or two ago? About that. Eventually saying that the market was going, uh, you know, yeah, how soon will that market yeah, correct? Because. Talks about that. But the, the amazing thing is that even I found that uh, wins on the Cuban market were three three million per. Uh, they're about seven million per uh, in uh, in the American open market, and uh, I found that even if you take Irisbel Arribuena, <laughs> uh, Yasmani Tomas, and Alex Guerrero, who all who together signed almost two hundred million dollars in contracts, even if you take all uh, four of those. And, or all three of those, and make them zeros, and never give them another win above replacement. The cost per win on the Cuban market only goes up to four million per. Hmm. Um, so it's still going to be. It, it might take a lot more uh, for this market to correct. But is, also, is, isn't it kind of relative though? I mean, in the sense, yeah, like it shifts. Teams, like yeah, teams are team. They teams are run by human beings, so they'll, they'll see um, the bus and and then you know want to pay a little bit less for the next guy, and also use recent busts to, to push down costs on the next guy. 
Right. Yeah. That's what, like, so in essence, that I mean, the, it helps that Arizona might be stupid. Uh, the other teams. Just one more way that Arizona's found a way to help the rest of the league. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I, I mean, I, I would like to get to uh, some uh, mentions in in the blog that we uh, would like to talk about some requests, and I think we can. I think we can motor through a couple of these at least. Um, before we end, uh, probably a few, because I don't think, uh, I, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Um, we'll briefly talk about, and I also rehashed this in the blog that I posted today, but uh, projection systems and meshing them. Finally, we will get this kind of on the air uh, and talked about how, like, someone asked us about projection systems and what's best Um which is, is one better for hitters than, uh, than another? Is one better for pitchers than another? Steamers, Zips, Marcel, et cetera, et cetera. And Steamer is kind of the one that we def- default to uh, in general, but one of them is be- is a little better for pitchers and one is a little better for hitters, I think you think, correct? And and you do well, it definitely It definitely used to be the case. I mean, there definitely was at one point a Steamer went ahead on pitching because so, Steamer was a little bit ahead on including velocity information. Um, and a couple other things. They, and but, they, a lot of them, they basically a big difference for all of them is they evaluate the run environments differently. Yeah. And that's why it's a little bit hard to, to mesh them. If you mesh them, you're just finding a new run environment, which may or may not be the correct uh, place. And, um, and if you pick, and in the past I've done a lot of picking, pick, you know, steamer zips uh, based per player, uh, then you're kind of uh, doing something weird to the run environment too. So, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm going to do necessarily. I'm thinking about just using Steamer as a guide um, because you know I, I've had a, a philosophical debate with this on uh, with somebody on my piece about Brantley and Braun, and the other side makes very good points. But um, first of all, with two kids and uh, Fangraphs Plus and you know a more a rigorous uh, front of the front front page writing requirements, I don't necessarily have the time. And I might this might mimic a lot of the, our listeners what they what sort of time they have to commit to fantasy baseball. I don't necessarily have the time to do what Podhorst does, which is basically project each player. Yeah, and I really like that. In in that he is being more plastic than a projection system can be, and in fact his projections at least one year beat uh, a lot of projection systems. So the human can still win by. Um, by looking at different factors and acting like a projection system, but being a little bit more plastic. Um, so I do like, but I don't necessarily have, I don't want to, I don't want to brag, but when I was still at KFL, we, we were, uh, although I don't remember where we faced finished against the systems, but we were, I mean, we were pretty effective at that because I mean, yeah, there's, there's a subjective evaluation that can give you an edge. You can lose, but it's like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the same thing with playing the tiebreakers or cheating the system. Like, if everybody's using projections, I want to know like which which guys do I think are going to beat the projection or lose against the projection, and and it's and then you're also affecting the projection, right? And and you know particularly for me, uh, my my biggest high stake league where these values are the most important to me are, are, are is AL labor. Yeah, I know that I'm going to go into AL labor and everyone's going to have their projection systems, and I know that um, there are guys like Larry Schechter who will say you know. Don't spend a dollar more than your projections. Uh, don't spend a dollar more than your valuations. But uh, that's saying don't spend a dollar more than your projections, right? That's saying trust your projections. 
the problem is projections only describe 31% of the variance year to year. So, you know, you're not describe you're, you're not by 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 adhering to the projections, you're not you're not you're not getting rid of luck. Now, people would respond to me and say, uh, yes, but if you don't go with projections, then you're going to go into wilder territory, and you're going to describe less variance because you're going to be crazier. You know what I mean? You're just gonna you're just gonna be trying to ride the wave. You know what I mean? You're just gonna be. Hey, I say, let's get crazy. <laughs> and I and I hear that. So what I'm thinking about doing, and I think this might serve people well, is get your valuations. Pick steamer zips. Uh, zips beat. Steamer, uh, in the most recent valuation I saw, there's one on t- the Hardball Times. You want to look for it. Uh, Zips beat Steamer in a lot of ways, and Steamer beat Zips on breakouts. Um, so, But they were both right neck and neck. So you can pick Zips or Steamer. Do what you like. Steamer has, um, I mean, they. I think they're quite meticulous in the way they evaluate and reevaluate um, the way minor league numbers evolve and and their major league equivalencies and things like that, they they seem they seem based on things I've read from them, they seem pretty proactive as far as that. And so that would seem. I mean, I don't know if that entirely yeah. meshes, but that seems to go with along with how they get breakouts. That so was that, a conclusion in the article too that, that they were they were good at breakouts because of their minor league uh, work. So that I think that's a good argument for Steamer, um, but you know, considering how little the variance they describe and. Uh, Considering that your time uh, that you have to possibly put into this, I don't think it's crazy to have a spreadsheet that basically shows you the projected numbers and the value um, of those projected numbers, and then basically spend a dollar, you know, spend a dollar more, spend a dollar less based on those. Um, now, the biggest argument against me that that I thought was compelling was if you do that. Uh, you could have a systematic problem where you overvalue stolen bases or you overvalue something, right? The thing that I don't believe that's true, why the reason I don't believe that's true, is because you will have your values, you know, mm-hmm. and you and they will be an anchor to you. If you are looking at ten, if you're looking at uh, Jock Peterson for five dollars, are you going to go to fifteen? I don't, I don't think so. Not if you, uh, you, you have a sort of what I'm suggesting is you have, you, you trust your values, but you. That you go over, so like just like we were talking about, Jock Peterson, go to six. If it says four, go to six. That's okay. You know, uh, you're looking at the numbers. You see two twenty, uh, two twenty, uh, nineteen, and, and eighteen, and you think, I think he can hit two forty. That's probably worth two more bucks. That's not gonna sink your draft, and I don't think it's a systematic thing. You're still gonna have a lot of values that 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 you stick to, and you're still gonna find value there. But you know, particularly when it comes to pitching, man. Yeah. I'm not gonna, you know, the steamer has zips. Uh, steamer has Drew Smiley down for fewer innings next year than last year. I mean, I don't even understand that. So you go by steamer, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get a res- good result for Drew Smiley. If you look at the steamer printout for for Drew Smiley, you say, oh, I think he can pitch 30 more innings. You're gonna spend a dollar two more. I, I mean, it might result in significantly more than a dollar two more. <laughs> right, but I'm I'm gonna. I'm I'm I may go in and manipulate, uh, especially the key guys, the sleepers, just to kind of see um, what that does to their dollar valuations. Um, I did for one. Let me see one guy. Um, for let's see here, Michael Gadire, uh 
I manipulated his batting average because Steamer has Michael Kadir hitting like 240 or something. And I just thought, I don't think that's that makes any sense given his career batting average. Um, not necessarily given his course batting average, just given his career batting average. So I gave him a 270 batting average, and that upped him from a $6 player to a $10 player. I wanted to see how that go. I think yeah. I, might, I might do some light editing. But if you're going to tell me that your little manipulation of runs and RBI for each player and runs and RBI projections, oh, my God, are you kidding me? You're going to tell me that you think that your runs and RBI project Because when we, when we test uh, projection systems, we don't, we don't test their runs and RBI output. Right. We test their WABA output. So we're testing their, their value to a real-life team, right? So we're not testing whether or not Steamer got – you know, the guy who hit 90 RBIs or 70 RBIs. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, so, and then you're going to go in there and just be like, oh, you know what? I really like Corey Dickerson. I'm going to change his 69 run score to, mm, let me see, 88, because that seems right. And then I think they're going to, you know, be a good lineup. So I'll give him 85, uh, you know, RBI. And, uh, oh, crap. Let me see what it, let me see what that does, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Just erase somebody. Oh, you were actually you were actually really doing that. <laughs> I, was, I was. Let me. I wanted to really do it. Though. I was. I was doing it on the wrong page. No, no, and I totally. I mean, I think. I think even Larry Schechter would concede. I mean, just because like Larry doesn't buy every player on his thing just because it says, um, because the bidding stops and it's like, well, I haven't valued two dollars higher. Like he doesn't want that guy. I'm sure there. Are, there are plenty of players he doesn't or will not end up because with because they either don't fit his strategy or even more so he probably does not want them. And, you know, like, so that he, he may not go over value, quote unquote, for anyone, but uh, he certainly is not willing to buy everyone either. Um, because, I mean, I think, and, and this is kind of goes along with like what I was saying, like about like when you, when you look at, you know, kind of a probability curve for a guy or the way we talk about floors and ceilings, uh, for him, it would be, okay, well, I have a 50, I have three $15 players and the floor for this one is way down here and the floor for this one is a little higher and the floor for this one is almost just below the $15. And uh, I will, you know, when the bidding stops at 13, I will bid 14, but uh, on this one, but I will not bid 14 on this one or this one. Mm, Yeah. Well, I just, I did the, I did the, you know, screwing around with runs and RBI for Dickerson. Um, I didn't even touch his home runs, stolen base or average just changed his runs to 85 and his RBI to 85. And he went from a $15 player to a $24 player. I call BS. You call BS on the fact that he might hit 85 RBI this year? No, no, no. Just like the fact that that should change his value so much in like. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I think it's problematic to be, to be very sort of stuck in your, in your values, especially since uh, once the auction gets going, there's, all sorts of more knowledge you can gain from the way people are bidding, mm-hmm. um, the way things are going off the table. The way, I mean, I've been—I've actually been sort of fascist about my values in AL labor, and I finished twelfth and fifth. So, like, you know, it's not going that well for me. And a lot of times, I'm looking around the table during closer r- runs, right? And yeah. everyone's paying eighteen, nineteen, twenty dollars for them, and my values say, you know, eight, nine, ten dollars, and I'm just like. What the hell, man? Maybe I'll spend a couple of dollars and get an actual closer last year. I mean, last year my closers were like Freire. Uh, I forget now, but 
you know, I did okay in saves, but, uh, you know, maybe I, maybe I should pony up. I mean, I, I don't know how to manipulate my projections to make closers worth 20 bucks, but somebody's doing it. My, yeah, I mean, frequently mine did. I mean, like, the, the way my valuation system works where I would end up with them, they would not be – I'd have to recall specifically, but they get, in, they get into the teens and the high teens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and on the NL side, I haven't played in NL labor, but the NL side, Kim, Kimbrell was in the 20s. I mean, that happens. Like, so, I mean, that's something we can, uh, we can certainly discuss if you're looking for some ways to, to do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, like – Basically, I mean, if you're if you're a values or a projections whore, you're can I say that word on here? Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I already did. Um, then you, you're you're setting yourself up for failure because you're not. I mean, you're not you're you're not diverging enough to from what everyone else is kind of already looking at. Like you're just you're just basically in in a, in a way you're kind of taking what everyone else is leaving you. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you're kind of using the magazine. Yeah, <laughs> that's and, yeah, uh, that's that's a good way to put it as well. And uh, so, I mean, it is really nice. I mean, if you do have the time, go through player by player. The very worst, you're going to gain a lot of knowledge about each player. Yes. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't have the time, pick a projection system. Uh, you know, plug it in, get values by FRs or by standing gains point. You can check uh, Jeff Zimmerman did standing gains points. That's good for uh, keeper and dynasty leagues, I think, because they have their own little environments where things are worth different amounts because people hold on to stuff. And so standing gains points basically says, what has a stolen base been worth in this league over the last three, four years or whatever? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's very valuable in a dynasty league where people might not keep stolen bases, you know, because you have 12 personalities and they've all decided, you know, I can always get stolen bases. So uh, by deciding that, then you can actually always get stolen bases because they don't keep the stolen bases. So anyway, um, I think staying gains points very good for keeper in dynasty leagues. Um, F bars uh, is a is sort of uh, is Zach Sanders Z score method. I think that's a little bit better for um, all leagues. But then we, I don't think you can be a slave to either, and I think you have to uh, pay attention to what's happening in the auction, and uh, and 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 learn about who you got, who you like, trust uh, sleepers from guys you like, you know, um, and uh, and uh, add that on top. I'm a Chris. I'm Chris Lissian. Chris Liss is very much, you know, we're all coming to the table with very similar research and numbers. Uh, what's going to separate us apart is who's going to make the right decisions, uh, sort of subjectively. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I'm, that's, I'm, I don't, uh, that's kind of like, it's not necessarily a bragging. I mean, I've, I've done uh, from playing in these leagues against the sharps as, as you call them, like I learned a lot and like, I became uh, what I think is, I mean, I became very good at drafting in auctions and things like that. Like, uh, and because of those things, it's not just learning those tendencies, but also, and, and targeting the right types of players and the right types of risks and where to invest the money and not just the, uh, having the median projection outcome and, and the dollar value for that is a good guideline. But then after that, you have to play the game in the auction, yeah. That's which is a totally different scenario. Um, let's jump to a, a couple of, we'll just, uh, jump to a couple of these other questions that have kind of lingered for a bit, uh, talk about a couple of players and we'll get out of here. Um, uh, basically curious about the thoughts on Sabathia. He has what looked like, uh, in terms of pitch effects, uh, pitch site peripherals, 
uh, especially and and you know we had obviously still some question marks and health has been has been the biggest problem for him in, in recent seasons, but still has good pitches basically uh, fastball sinker changeup and slider and like the, you know this is a guy we talked about is like. A, yeah, I mean, this is a this is a guy I would buy at the end of a draft, uh, and I would you know I would spend a couple of bucks because of the name, I guess. But like, I mean, I wouldn't let him go for a buck. Wouldn't let him go for a couple of bucks in a mixed league. But you know, I wouldn't spend more than that, much more than that. But yeah, because there's a plentiful pitching. But this is a guy that still intrigues me. Yeah, um, in the mock draft, uh, I had him on the board. Um, I took uh, Corbin two sixty eight. Um, Sabathia went uh, to Jeff Zimmerman at 279, and I took Chase Anderson 285. Uh, you know, in retrospect, maybe I should have taken him over Corbin. But one one of the things I wanted to do with Corbin was um, alert people to the strategy of taking a bench um, DL guy. Yeah. Um, just you know, whoever it is, I like. Uh, there's three or four uh, Tommy John attorneys. They don't always do that well, um, but take a Matt Moore. Uh, take a Patrick Corbin, um, you know, take an A.J. Griffin. Who cares? Put him on your bench. Put him in the DL slot. Especially if you have two, three, four DL slots, it's perfect. You keep him there. You know, most people run through their bench anyway. And then what you also do is set yourself up for an opening in spring training, whereas somebody else will have to be like, ooh, you know, who do I drop off my bench? You'll say, I have an opening. There's this hot thing happening in spring training. Looks like Kang is hitting the ball out of the park, whatever it is. Uh, you can make a pickup in spring training where somebody else uh, might hesitate a little bit longer. So, uh, but you know, Sabathia over Corbin, yeah, sure, I'd take him on full season value because CC is a little bit more likely to 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 pitch the full season than than I mean Corbin can't. Um, <laughs> and um, you know, Chase Anderson, I might have taken. I think I had CC above Chase Anderson. I love Chase Anderson's. He has basically two changeups, or you know, he has a strikeout changeup and a four strikes changeup. His curveball is really nice. He's got average velocity. He's in the NL. I think that's everything you need to be sort of a fantasy 2-3 type guy. Uh, I don't think I necessarily see ace upside in him, but I took him with a 285th pick, uh, and I feel like he'll be useful. So, um, you know, CC, you know, he definitely profiles. Even last year, um, in terms of outcomes, uh, his sinker uh, and change were plus-plus. And uh, his slider was basically average. And the slider used to be really good. Uh, it's just fallen on harder times in the last couple of years, you know, coinciding with his health issues. So, you know, maybe uh, he gets on top of that knee again and um, the slider is, is uh, above average. And then he looks like an above average pitcher. Um, you know, there's some homer problems in New York, uh, but that might be offset by uh, a possible – um, better win total if the, if the Yankees are better this year. Um, you know, if he gets 15, 16 wins, strikes out eight guys per nine, has his trademark control, you know, even if he has a 3-8 ERA or something, he's going to be a valuable pitcher. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, there's, there's a potential be, I mean, and I look at him more so, I mean, we've already, we know him reputation-wise, you know, as the quote-unquote kind of slow starter. He's done that for a number of different uh, different different years he's kind of done that but like this is also kind of set up to be a season where like you know as he kind of finds himself physically that this could be you know where he is he he improves considerably as as the season moves along 
it might be somebody you like to kind of keep in mind or that you stash or that you just pick up later or something like that. I think I I, I think it's now that he's healthy and kind of had uh, th- that's kind of a marker for me, an informal and, one is if and this, now that he's now that he's like a dollar guy. I mean, right? <laughs> if you had if you had a if you had a guys, then a lot of the dollar guys will be talking about. I mean, you can hear, listen to me talk about Alan Webster till my till you know the cows come home, but Alan Webster has less upside than CC this year. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, maybe not upside is the right word, but you know, li- you know, Alan Webster is less likely to be a uh, valuable pitcher this year than CC. Yes, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I see what you're saying there. Um, real what quick, a couple of those early ones. I think we can do those quicker than anything else. Uh, uh, Aaron Sanchez. To me, um, I was thinking Daniel Norris would get the the final uh, starting pitching slot, and Aaron Sanchez, who did so well in the closing role and has a bit of a limited arsenal and has control issues and has a ton of velocity. Um, I thought he would be a perfect closer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so, the, I think the, I think the blue Jays considering the moves that they've made. I mean, to me, this is a situation. Yeah. Basically where you're like, yes, he's worth a gamble, but it's not because like, I think the question went on to say, you know, will he get a rot or like kind of alludes to it? You know, is he going to get a rotation spot or something like that? Like, but I would be more definitely interested in the saves and. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it could be it could be one of those weird hybrid situations where you know I actually bid um, last year on Bud Norris uh, because a I thought his floor was really high. It was AL labor. I thought he was a guy who's gonna pitch. You know, he's either gonna be a starter or he's gonna be a closer. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, that was when they didn't really know they're gonna do it at closer. So. Uh, it turned out all right for me. I think that you could do something similar with Sanchez where you say either he's going to be the fifth starter or he's going to be the closer. And either way, he's going to have pretty good value. So if you look at it that way, yes, then, then I like him. Um, but if he, if he, if you have to pay like he is the closer or you have to pay like he is the starter, then it gets a little bit dicier. Um, I was, I thought Norris was going to start, but then I was reading, he had surgery. Uh, that doesn't mean that he won't start, but it it does make things easier for them to say, oh, you know what, Norris is going to rehab, and um, and uh, he might be up in a month. We'll give Sanchez the fifth starter role, and Brett Cecil, uh, who looks totally capable of closing, is going to be our closer. So that those to me are the 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 two most likely outcomes are uh, Cecil closes, Sanchez is the fifth starter, Norris in the minors, or Norris. Uh, is the fifth starter, Sanchez closes, and Cecil's the setup guy. And then also it could only be that that's the way they start the season and they need, need to adjust. So, Okay, uh, White Sox second base, uh, you expressed that you thought, uh, I mean, you you like Carlos Sanchez basically, not in the, se- I mean, I don't know how much you like him, but you like him to keep the second base job or get the second base well, job. Well, I did. I did. I, I, I checked in with my, uh, my guy, Dan Hayes, who covers the White Sox. And... Um, he, he picked Micah, um, and I guess what he said, uh, he said contextual stuff in terms of clues about how the White Sox have treated him. Uh, apparently, he, he was there to the last day of spring training last year, Okay. Um, which I think is a pretty good uh, idea that he was he was there until the last, you know, he's like, you know, last, last cut kind of guy. Um, and uh, he did well, in, at least in terms of contact rate in the minor leagues um, in AAA and AA last year. Um, 
you know, the walks didn't really travel to AAA where you've got more kind of former major leaguers with better control. Um, so he, the, the walks may not come with him uh, to the major leagues, but uh, contact rate, uh, you know, decent, con- uh, decent defense. Uh, I think Carlos Sanchez is a little bit more of a wild card in many different ways in terms of his strikeout, his contact rates have been, his strikeout rates have been worse. Um, his power hasn't been demonstrably better. His patience uh, has been uh, worse uh, for most of the time. So, you know, I thought Sanchez might do it because he was the guy who was actually in the majors last year. Um, but he also didn't perform that well. So that might make him behind. Uh, from I, think, a, I mean, from a fancy perspective. The guy who covers them, you know, I listen to the guy who covers them. He thinks Michael Johnson's going to take it and run with it. Okay, and that's I mean, like on top of it, like you're from a fantasy perspective, like I mean, you're certainly taking Johnson before you take Sanchez because there's there's there's, there's standout there's, speed at least, right? There's something that stand out, whereas Sanchez probably doesn't really offer anything. Like, I mean, I mean, any, anytime thirteen, uh, Micah Johnson stole nine, uh, 89 bases. Yeah, eighty-seven uh, bases. That's legit speed, like, even if he's, you know, even if there's a serious, you know, a serious major league equivalency penalty. Yeah. Uh, and, and <laughs> whereas, yeah, whereas Michael, whereas Carlos Sanchez is, I mean, like, anytime I see a total of, like, 20 or fewer, that says to me that there's a potential that this is, I mean, there's there's always a case, you could always turn out to be Jason Kipnis, where it went kind of in the opposite direction, but. Yeah, for the most part, they go down. Right, because and, it's 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 more so a product of like, opportunity and power. right. Yeah, so you're talking about one or two home runs. Like if you gave Carlos Sanchez a full season in fantasy, you get one or two home runs and maybe ten stolen bases. Whereas if you give Micah Johnson uh, a full season in fantasy, you might get you know one or two home runs, but you probably get twenty plus stolen bases and maybe a better batting average. So. Yeah, I think I think Michael Johnson's the better uh, sleeper there. There, I hope that listener is satisfied because he was kind of kind of kind of ticked at your Carlos Sanchez assessment. <laughs> okay, just just I mean, he was like, wait a minute, what about my my man Michael Johnson? I think it was his we have to, nephew. We have to follow a lot of teams here, buddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, 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 but and, and it was a fair point. I'm glad, you know, like I'm glad no. he brought him because I think that you know Johnson. I mean, is he's a legitimate kind of deep sleeper candidate? That's a, that he's a, and it's it's good that we get to talk about him and, and and share that. So, I'm not necessarily putting him in the uh, top twelve or top eighteen, though. No, yeah, no, no. But like he'd be an interesting like buck pick in an AL league, or at least yeah. right now. I mean, who knows? It, you know, and these scenarios can change. But like, if we're drafting right now, most people don't even know who the hell that is. So like, you're saying, all right, well, I'm gonna throw a book at this guy because nobody knows who he is. We That's may true. get into by the time AL labor rolls around, you may be like, oh man, if I want Micah Johnson, I got to pay four dollars for him, and I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't sign up for that. But you could get him as a reserve pick, depending on the way things go in spring training at the start of it, or the way the news folds. And Dan, you know, tell Dan Hayes to keep a keep a lid on it until after labor. That's what I would say. Yeah. Okay, maybe you're not really cool with that. I mean, I don't know how. No, no, I don't I, know how close you are with Mr. Hayes. I don't know how things work. I don't know how things work. You know, I I, <laughs> I said once that in a chat that I thought Lucas Duda was all right, and then you know people were paying ten dollars for Lucas Duda that year, and then he sucked, and then I had everyone was mad at me. <laughs> I was like, I thought Lucas Duda was a one dollar sleeper three months ago. Yeah. You know. No, that's it's the. Uh, 
I, I can I could try to think of many examples where I've had that where like um, in the in the two like in the three weeks or so that intercede is that the right word uh, between AL labor and AL tout wars like and I've done it myself but like you know the values like a guy uh, uh, the prices like a guy can go for like five dollars in one and fifteen in the other <laughs> and it's, we're talking three weeks and because of uh, <laughs> spring training news that ultimately doesn't really affect anything about the players long term performance. So, yeah, and labor labor's early again. Yeah, so, uh, I, I like I like early. Early early means uh, you gotta you gotta do your own thinking. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree quite a bit. And that's like I I feel like I've I've drafted extremely well. I I had drafted extremely well in that league in the past couple of years. My team uh, past three years, I think my teams were really strong. Well, at least contending, except for the year that Larry Schechter totally ran away with it. But <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> Um, yeah, I got trounced that year. Yeah, yeah, but you've and you've learned a lot, like I've, I mean you've you've learned quite a bit as well. I mean I think that's what as well. I finished, I think dead last or maybe second to last, but I think dead last in my first year. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I, it was it was total total learning experience. I mean, I, and I I I moved up steadily every year. So that's what's that's what makes it uh, extremely fun and challenging. I think that is going to do it for this episode of the Sleeper and the Bust. Uh, it's barring, barring unforeseen issues this time, once again, um, is completion of episode number 185. Thank you very much, Ido, for your patience and for joining us, uh, as always. Yes. And, and thanks for listening and, uh, root for us. Yes, please root for us. And, um, you know, continue to stick with us because, uh, we're, we remain dedicated to bringing this to you. And, uh, and, and uh, please, uh, Lord of the Internets and all things technologies, uh, allow this missive to uh, go into the world and <laughs> listen to people. Please, please, I beg of you. <laughs> we have we have a lot of confidence in this one, or we have without, a, or maybe it's just hope. But uh, regardless, and also those Lords of the Internet, uh, come up with uh, cooler cooler programs and better programs because uh <laughs> that would that would make our lives easier as well we're just saying but uh uh yes it, it's been it's been a, a great show i think uh excited to be back in the fold and we'll continue to try and find ways to improve and we'll continue to do that uh, episode number 185 this is the sleeper and the bus <laughs>